might notice I am sporting a brand new t-shirt this morning. This is intentional. Check it out on the back, yeah. Uh, on Wednesday night, we had a, about 40 kids here to launch our AMP season, uh, and it was an incredible, incredible night. And so we are uh, selling these shirts, if you would like one, outside in the lobby. We don't usually sell things around here or peddle things to you, but this is for a really, really good cause. Our students are planning to go to a youth conference next summer in San Diego at San Diego State University. And so uh, the money raised from this will help send students to this week-long youth conference. So buy your t-shirt, or if you want to just give a couple thousand dollars, you can do that as well. Uh, whatever. You could buy a t-shirt for as much as you want. That's the sale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I love our youth group. I love DJ. I love our leaders. I love our kids. We support them. Heather is not wrong. We love our next generation here. We will go too bad for them every single time. Okay. Now, um, I've had a really interesting journey with some of the adornments on my body, not, not clothing speaking. Uh, but when I was 22, for example, I moved, to, uh, moved from the Midwest, Minnesota, to the North Shore of Lake Tahoe. And I was there, I was a youth pastor, and uh, I loved just the mountain life and the mountain air. I got into snowboarding and wakeboarding, and I met all these friends that were doing the same. And along the way, these, some of these great friends, um, I noticed that many of them had some piercings. And so I was curious about that, and I made a decision. I wanted to get some piercings. So me and my roommate, my good friend of mine, went down to the local tattoo and piercing shop, and I actually got two hoop earrings in each of my ears. Or, well, one in each of my ears, okay? And um, I had those for almost a decade, believe it or not. I never took them out of my ears. They sat in my ears for a decade. It was pretty, I couldn't get them out. I don't think, they didn't, they didn't release very easily, and so I just left them. And so um, I had those earrings for almost a decade until I turned 30. In the time that I got it, those earrings and the time that I turned 30, I got married, and then I all of a sudden had three kids, and shortly before I turned 30 years old, my wife turned to me and she said, I think it's time to get rid of the earrings. <laughs> and I knew she was right, and I took the earrings out for the first time after I got them. And then fast forward 10 years later, and I was starting to consider getting some body art again, only this time I wanted a tattoo. I didn't have a tattoo. I'd always wanted one. But I didn't just want any tattoo. I wanted a tattoo that would somehow remind me of who I am and what I was supposed to do and the life that I was living. So for my 40th birthday, I headed to the tattoo shop that used to be just right out here off the parking lot, and I got my first and only tattoo. Now, before I got that tattoo, I spent months trying to figure out what I wanted to have inked on me. Those of you who have tattoos, you know, like, this is a commitment it doesn't just go away over time. Like, I'm going to be buried in the ground or burned up or whatever my family decides to do with me when I die. And this is going to go with me, right? And so I wanted it to be something that was going to be everlasting for me while I'm on this earth. I wanted it to be something that stood the test of time, that in 10 years I'm not going, why did I put that on my body? But that I'm grateful that I did. And so I really wanted it to mean something. And then I landed on the perfect word to ink on my arm for the rest of my life. And it's the word akalutheo. Put that up there, buddy. Akalutheo. Now that's the English spelling of a Greek word. Uh, and this Greek word 
is written on my wrist. You may notice it just right above my wrist on my right arm. And at any moment, uh, there are times where I will just sort of glance at it and I'll remember what this word means. Now, this word is found in the New Testament, varying tenses of it, present and past tense of it. And it's a word that has guided me and billions of Christians for thousands of years in their faith, including many of you. And it's a word that we as a church are committed to collectively. So I'm not going to tell you what the word means yet. Grab your Bible and open up, or your phone, and open up the YouVersion app or your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, that's where we're going to start today. That's where we're going to land most of our time today. And as we come to our passage in Matthew chapter 9, it's important to remember that before we read this, Jesus has become quite the phenomenon in Judea and the areas surrounding it in the first century. In fact, prior to the passage we're going to read today, we see Jesus constantly pursued by both the people around the cities that he's in within Judea and the religious elite that are there as well. In fact, at, right before this passage, he actually gets on a boat and he goes across the lake almost as an effort to kind of get away for a little bit. And by the time he gets to the other side of the lake, there are people waiting for him. And he's able to, you know, uh, heal a paralyzed man. And then, you know, the religious leaders start asking him questions. And Jesus is just, he's constantly in the crosshairs of other people, both those who want to know him and those who want to kill him. Now, common sense would tell you that as the temperature gets sort of turned up on Jesus' you know, fame and notoriety, that, that common sense would tell us, maybe just take a little bit of a break, right? Like, let, things, let the dust settle a little bit on some things, you know, and, and some of the hype and the criticism that you're facing, just maybe let it sort of ease up a little so that you can go back to doing what you're best at. Maybe go on a little weekend away to the Mediterranean, you know, Jesus, find an Airbnb there and just hang out right? Just spend a little time with God, get a little tan, have a pina colada under the cabana or whatever, kick up your feet, get away for a week. So, that, so let people move on from this obsession that they have with you and this constant confrontation that the religious elite are after with you. But instead, Jesus does the absolute opposite. Instead, he does something that only turns the temperature up hotter, which is where we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. Matthew writes, and by the way, this is autobiographical, in case you wondered. The author of this book is writing about himself here. And he says this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, turn the temperature up a little more, Jesus. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. How many of you know you're a sinner in this place today? Yeah, there's a few of you that are kind of like, I'm pretty perfect. But the most of you, we all know, look, we've got some imperfections, some impurities, right? In our flesh, we are all sinners. And here we have it. Jesus, in this passage, uses the present tense form 
of the very word written on my arm, akalutheo. He says to Matthew, follow. Follow me. In fact, Jesus is quoting using this word more than 20 times in the Gospels. And it is the primary word that he uses to invite people into a dynamic, ongoing relationship with him. Follow me. The tattoo on my arm reminds me that I'm to follow Jesus. It reminds me of the word that is written in the New Testament when Jesus says, follow me. And it is at the very top of our priorities as a church. Now, if you were here last week, you heard me talk about the mission of this church. And we believe that the mission of the church universally, we're all on the same mission, right? Matthew 28, Jesus says, go make disciples, uh, baptize them and teach them to obey my commandments, right? He, he wants us all, no matter what church, you drive up 32nd Street, all of these churches, we're all called to that same mission. But on a local basis, there's some uniqueness to who we are. Like we express our faith and our worship and this mission in varying ways. And we say at our church that we want to be a thriving community of changed lives, changing lives. It's the heartbeat of who we are. It's the filter through which we run everything that we do. The decisions we make are aimed at the mission that we believe God has placed upon us as a local entity of the church here at 32nd Street in Thunderbird. And if you missed all of that and you would like to go back and watch it, you can do that. Go to our website, go to YouTube. I highly encourage you to do that, right? Now, in addition to our mission, we also have these things we call our mission priorities. And these are things that we believe are essential for us to accomplish the unique mission Jesus has called us to. Uh, earlier, Justin referred to the wall. And some of you might be wondering, the wall? What, why are we looking at a wall? If you go out into our lobby and you look at the wall right there by the cafe, you'll notice it has both our mission statement and our mission priorities. Kind of like my tattoo. This is who we are. This is what we do. Right? And, and we're course correcting all the time, and we're, we're trying to figure that out collectively, what that means, but this is who we are. And if you go out to that wall, one of the things that you'll see at the very top is the, maybe at the pinnacle piece of our mission priorities, and that is that we want to follow Jesus. We want to be people who follow Jesus. Listen, everything else that we do, and we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks, none of it amounts to very much if we don't get this right. If we, if we don't take the word akalutheo that Jesus says to us, follow, to be people who follow the one, then the rest of it really doesn't amount to a whole lot, which is the perfect starting point in accomplishing our mission. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. It's, if it's going to happen, it's only going to happen if we are living and following Jesus. So I want everyone to get up right now and leave and go get Akalutheo tattooed on your arm, okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. You could do that, though. You could do that. I'll give you the stencil for it or whatever. Here's what I do want, though, okay, is for all of us to take very seriously the meaning of that word and what it means for us. Maybe it's not tattooed on your arm but it's my hope that it'd be tattooed on your heart and on your mind. So back to the passage in Matthew chapter 9. 
There are maybe a million reasons why I love this passage. I go back to this passage a lot when I consider what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a part of the church, who Jesus really is calling to be a part of this thing he calls the church. But I'm just going to point out a couple things this morning that I think are really worth focusing on. And first, and this is critical, Jesus' primary method for calling people into relationship with him is this phrase, follow me. There is certainly a step, listen, there is a step for us in believing in Jesus, but it doesn't and cannot stop there. Believing in Jesus is like ripping the wrapping paper off a gift and then never doing anything with the gift, right? It's like, oh, look at, look at what it is. That's pretty cool. But if you really want to know what's inside, if you really want to experience the gift in its fullness, you got to move from believing to following. And there's a big difference, which is why Jesus doesn't say to Matthew as he passes by, hey, dude, believe in me. He doesn't say that. He says, follow me. And amazingly, and we'll see why he does this in a little bit, Matthew just gets up and he does it. He does it. There's something about what Jesus is calling him to that is so attractive that Matthew would give up everything that he has known up until this point in his life to follow Jesus. You know, here's the thing. Jesus isn't interested in just someone's belief in him. Lots of people believe in Jesus. Jesus is primarily concerned with someone's willingness to follow him. Will you follow me? Which, is what, which brings us to what Jesus meant by this. When he said, follow me, what did he really mean by that? In the first century, in Judaism in the first century, it was commonplace for a rabbi, a teacher of religious law like Jesus, to call primarily young men to follow them. What Jesus is doing is not outside of the cultural norms within rabbinic lifestyle, okay? Rabbis looked for qualified individuals who they believed would be able to carry on their teachings and lifestyle after they had passed. They wanted their legacy to live on in these new apprentices, these new disciples of theirs. So they would gather a small group of young men, usually teenagers or young adults, to follow them as they taught and lived. They didn't just gather together once a week. They literally lived together, walking from place to place, eating together, serving together, teaching together, doing everything that the rabbi would do right alongside of him. And as a result, to be asked to be following a rabbi was a privilege in the first century. It was a bit like being drafted into the NFL, right? Like only a select few get there. And man, if you were picked as one of the best and were asked to carry on the legacy of teaching the Jewish faith, you had made it. If I got drafted into the NFL tomorrow, which would never happen, but if I did... I would be tempted to leave this and go play football, wouldn't you? It wouldn't last long. I'd die on the football field, but I would be tempted to do that. It's doesn't make, it makes a lot of sense why Matthew would go, oh my goodness, like this is the opportunity of a lifetime. I, I got to go do this. I have to go do this. Now, to become a disciple of a rabbi was not for the faint of heart. It required an incredible amount of sacrifice and commitment. 
Young disciples would be asked to leave their homes. They'd be asked to leave their families, their jobs. They would be asked to leave the life they have known up until that point completely. They would be responsible for going wherever their rabbi went and to do whatever their rabbi did. And they would be asked to do it with a commitment so deep that nothing would distract them or tear them away from their commitment to their rabbi. In fact, there's an ancient Jewish blessing that exists within the Mishnah, which is this text that has been used for centuries for young followers, for these young disciples. And the ancient blessing, when someone would become a new disciple of a rabbi, they would say something like, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Yeah, I had this image of, you ever watch horse racing? Three of I know, it's the Kentucky Derby, whatever. But if it's a really rainy, muddy day, do you, do you ever notice what the riders look like after the race? Like, other than the leader, right? The leader, he's clean, he's good. Everybody behind him, they can't, I mean, they're like wiping the mud. They're just covered in mud. This is what I imagine is in the minds of those setting this blessing upon these new disciples. Be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Be so covered by what he says and what he does and where he goes that you have to wipe the mud from your eyes from the footsteps in front of you. So when Jesus says, follow me to Matthew, this is not a light ask. This is what Jesus is asking of Matthew. He's asking Matthew to leave behind everything he has known, his family, his home, his job as a tax collector, his friends. He's asking Matthew to make an incredible sacrifice and commitment. He's asking Matthew to make a wholehearted decision that places Jesus as the authority and the leader of his life. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus is still calling people to follow him in the same way. Not just to believe in him, but to follow him, to be covered in his dust, to leave behind an old life and to step into a new one, to fall under, that's right, his authority and his leadership, to learn and to live as he taught and has shown us. I mean, look at how he talks about what it means to follow him in Matthew chapter 16. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, if you've heard me say, follow me, and you want to be my follower, you got to give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. In other words, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to respond to the call of Jesus on your life to follow him, it is going to require you to sacrifice and commitment and turning away from your old life. You can't hold on to the past when you're following Jesus. You are going to have to let go of having it your way, no matter what Burger King says. You cannot have it your way and follow Jesus. You're going to have to put your death, put to death your selfishness, your pettiness, and your sinfulness and follow Jesus. It will mean leaving the comfort of that life you currently have. 
It will mean that you'll no longer be the own, your own leader of your life. It will mean that you'll be, have to be covered in the dust of Jesus, that after a long day, you will have to wipe the mud from your eyes and take a shower after you have followed the will of Jesus and the authority over his life in and through your workplace and in your families and in your schools. This is the life that Jesus is calling us to. He's saying, every step I take, I want you to take it with me. And every lesson I teach, I want you to put it into action. I want you to apply this in your life. And you know, Matthew 16, 24 is followed up by this promise that Jesus makes. And Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You'll find it. If you really want to experience life in its fullness, be covered in my dust. Akalutheo, follow me. Not following Jesus, listen to me, is a losing effort. In the end, it is a losing effort. Going your own way, doing your own thing, only leads to feeling more vulnerable and more lost. But the promise Jesus gives when he says, follow me, and he says, come my way, he says, I will enable you to find a new life. Following Jesus, the promise is that it leads to change, holistic, heart-centered change. And I'm telling you, I could bring person after person after person after person up on this platform who would tell you, yes, that's true. That is exactly what has happened to my life when I decided to follow Jesus. Change lives, changing lives. This is who we want to be, right? Well, then it will require an all-in, fully committed, sacrificial, put to death our sin and selfishness decision to follow Jesus. Amen. And it won't just be because a few of us did it. It'll be because all of us do it. Now, one more thing about this passage I think is really important because if there's any doubt in your mind whether or not you are worthy to follow Jesus, I don't want to, hi, let's not lose sight of who Jesus is actually calling to follow him in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew is a tax collector, and some of you know this background, but some of you may not. He's a Jewish tax collector. He'd been hired by the Roman government to make sure that those in his local area paid their taxes on time and for the appropriate amount, which, you know, he's like a local IRS agent. Everybody loves the local IRS agent, right? Yeah, yeah, right? But he's not just collecting taxes, right? Because the Romans could care less how they get their tax money. They just want to make sure they get the money that they're owed. So tax collectors like Matthew took full advantage of this powerful position within their local communities, and they would gouge taxpayers to line their own pockets. So if, say, you owed $100 in taxes, you would have to go to Matthew to pay those taxes, and he would charge you $150. He'd give $100 to the Roman government, and he'd take the 50, and he'd put a new couch in his living room. 
Now, because of this, Matthew was one of the most hated individuals in the local community. And it wasn't only because he was working directly for the Roman government and gouging people, but he was stealing from his own community, the Jewish people. Matthew was not just a traitor, but he was a thief. And everyone knew it. There was no hiding this. He's just the kind of guy everybody wants to start a world-changing movement with, right? I mean, for Jesus, this was it. Because Jesus wasn't just a redeemer. Jesus was a renegade. Do you know what a renegade is? I don't know if I'm a renegade, but I'd like to think that I'm a Jesus renegade someday. He went against everything the Jewish world of the time thought and believed. But he did it for very intentional reasons. You see, Matthew being called to follow Jesus should actually be a sigh of relief for all of us. Phew! Thank goodness he's calling a guy like Matthew because it reveals that Jesus really meant what he said at the end of verse 13. He says in verse 13, For I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. And most of you, let's just say all of you, have already admitted that in and of myself, I am a sinful human being. I made mistakes this morning before I even got out of bed, right? Unlike every other rabbi before and after him, Jesus called some of the most unqualified, unworthy people to follow him, and it's still continuing today. I mean, just look around. You're surrounded by unworthy, unqualified people. And you know what? I feel good about that. <laughs> if you're looking at me right now, like, man, you're the pastor, you're so righteous, man, don't come to my house, okay? Just don't hang out at my house. I'm just as unqualified, just as unworthy. I am just another person who has been saved by God's grace, who has heard the call of Jesus to follow him, and somehow he has called me into ministry to talk about stuff that I deeply believe. Like, listen, Jesus didn't come to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. And we're all in this together, right? Every other rabbi on the face of the earth at the time was looking for the best of the best. And Jesus went to the worst of the worst. And he said, follow me. I can't imagine what the religious elite was thinking. Like this dude is off his rocker. What is he doing? And you know what? Some of you need to hear this this morning. You need to know that no matter who you are or what you've done or where you've been, Jesus is still saying to you, Akalutheo, follow me, follow me. Give up the life you've always known and find a life led and guided by me. You will not regret this. Put to death all of the sin and the selfishness and the pettiness that is eating you alive. Pick up the cross and follow me. And if you do, you will find life in its fullest. If we're going to be a church, Genesis, that is a thriving community of changed lives, changing lives, then man, we, we got to be people who respond to the call of Jesus to follow him. And not just when it's convenient, even when it's difficult, we will need to be people who prioritize our relationship with him. 
his people, the church, and the mission he set us on above anything else. We gotta stay committed to it. We'll need to be people who listen to his word and apply it in our lives. We'll need to be people who fall under his authority and his leadership and allow it to shape our lives, not the other way around. We have to be people who are willing to come together on a Sunday morning and sing in unison we got to be people that come together on a Sunday morning and pray together and listen together and be molded together and be shaped together, who come together in groups, whether it's a women's group or a men's group or a young adults group or another group, come together that we might know what it means to follow Jesus, that we would be people who would be covered in his dust. Let's pray. God, it is with great humility that I come before you and the people of Genesis. And I think of the words of Matthew chapter 9, and I can only imagine what must have been going on in Matthew's head as he wrote those words and told the story of his own decision to follow you. I think all of us at some point in time can remember that there, was a, there have been moments where we've, we've been reminded of that word that you've whispered to us over and over and over again, follow me. And so this morning, but I know that there's someone in this room that you are saying that word to the same way you said it to Matthew. You are saying, Akalutheo, follow. Follow me. Come with me. Be covered in my dust. Watch me. Listen to me. Hear me. Let me guide you. Let me lead you. All that sin and selfishness, I, I have redeemed you from that. I have saved you from that, from my death on the cross. Now come and follow me. Pick up your cross. Come and follow me. Save your life. If that's you this morning, hear the call of Jesus. Respond and say, I will follow I will not let this moment pass me by. I will follow. Lord, it is my prayer that as a church that we would continuously be reminded of our commitment and our sacrifice to follow you. In this world, it will not be easy. There will come times where we come to a crossroads and we'll have to make a decision. And I just pray that in those moments, we will hear your voice again saying, follow me. Just follow, just trust me and follow me. And that collectively, Lord, as a church, that we would learn what it means to be true followers of you in this world. That as we gather on Sundays and in the week and as we serve our community and as we sing together and pray together, God, that you would shape us and form us to look more and more like you. That we would remember that you will never let us down in that that you will always be faithful in that, that we can trust and walk in your steps and be covered in your dust without fear or hesitation. And it's in your name we pray.